everybody and welcome back to the PFN Scouting Podcast. I'm your host Dalton Miller joined as always by my co-host Ian Cummings and today we're going to answer your questions. We have 16 or 17 of them here that we are going to answer. Thank you guys everybody for contributing to the mailbag episode of the podcast. These are our favorite episodes. Listen, mock drafts are awesome. They're a lot of fun. You get to talk about the top prospects in the class. It's always fun to talk about the top prospects in the class. But your questions and your participation, without your participation, this podcast doesn't matter. So having you guys ask us questions, listening in for the answers, we are grateful for that. Without further ado, Ian, how are you doing today? Doing good. Doing good. Mailbags are always my favorite. And, you know, to be honest, I needed a mailbag to kind of brighten my mood because I got crushed by you in fantasy this past week. So that Absolutely was decimated. That was just, it's like oh, your team didn't even show up. I know, anymore. dude. I know. Sometimes you just kind of throw in the towel early. Just, you know, <laughs> call it a day, right? That's That was what happened this time. But I'm hoping, I'm hoping that I'm putting one of my better weeks in the bank with that bad week. But more likely than not. The, the peak is already past here. So we'll see. We'll see. We're still in the running, but congratulations to you. Hat tip. Uh, but yeah, mailbag podcast. Always love these. Always love answering these questions. And I think, you know, every time we get a, a really widespread, you know, team specific questions, prospect specific and process specific too. And I think, you know, all three of those are really fun to answer and dive into. So we've got a 45 minute cutoff. We want to try and get below. We're always very long winded. Oh, we're so going to get below it. We are going, going get, to get below. All right. All right. I like the, the conviction. I'm going to listen. If we start rambling or if you start rambling, I'm just yeah. going to need it. Hurry up. Hurry up. Hurry up. We got to go. We got to go. I love it. Um, no, um, I would just like to point out just quickly, nobody cares about my fantasy teams. And for the most part, I don't care about my fantasy teams. But in the three leagues, the three paid leagues I'm in right now, I am six and two in each of them. And I have no clue how because my like points scored is like middle of the pack. And my points against it's just I'm playing great defense. I, you know, I, I, I'm a matchup wizard. Um, <laughs> let's get into these questions before everybody leaves. And we're going to start off with the hottest question of them all. What is the earliest a team should draft a kicker in the 2024 NFL draft? And this is from College Football Network's Ollie Hodgkinson. We know he is a proponent of the special teams. It's like a fantasy football draft, you know, transitioning from one to another. Yep, you don't really draft is. a kicker until the last round. You, you don't draft a kicker until the last round. I mean, maybe you go after Justin Tucker before you get a defense, but that's it. That's it. Nobody else. Nobody else should get drafted, okay? And, and this isn't even about, in my opinion, the talent of these guys because the talent might be there to be like, yo, like this guy's not going to miss at the NFL level. Let's take him in round three, round four. It's a bad idea because you are immediately putting – an undue amount of pressure on a position that is already stacked to the brim with pressure. Because instead of drafting Jake Moody in round three, you could have had insert player who's going to be an all pro from the fourth or fifth round here. And they're going to have to hear about that forever, especially if it is at a position that they needed in the draft, which the San Francisco 49ers right now, they at the NFL trade deadline, could have went out and tried to get a cornerback on the opposite side of Javarius Ward, but didn't. They went out and they got another defensive end, which makes that defensive line pretty insane. But I say all that to say this. It's not the talent side of things. It's that I don't think you should put pressure on a position where pressure can legitimately 
destroy your career. Yeah, for sure. It's the pressure and it's the opportunity cost of missing out on a more valuable player in another position. Once I saw Ali ask this question, I had to put it at the top. Shout out to Ali and Cam. They do great work at CFN, as always. But, man, when it's a kicker, right, like, here's the thing. How many of the good kickers in the NFL that have stuck around started out as undrafted free agents? Like, you know, a good Both. portion of them. Yeah, so it's like, you know, I would, if, if there's a kicker who has a massive hit rate, like, if you posit to me, you know this guy's going to hit 95% of his kicks. You know he has a leg that can hit 60 yards out. You know, if you know those things, yeah, I'll take him early day three, right? I will use one of those priority picks on him in the day three range. But how many kickers come out with those guarantees? Very few, right? So I look at that, and you look at the past two drafts, right? Like, you could have gotten – you look at that Jake Moody third-round pick. Maybe you could have gotten Puka Nakua with that or Tariq Woolen, right? You know, there's playmakers at other positions – that just inherently bring more value at those spots. So I'm sorry, Ali, round six or round seven is probably where I start, right? You know, I, I just think once you get to that point, the point of diminishing returns, you know, is very low across the board. There's a lot of talent across the board. Try to alleviate the pressure by waiting a little bit and getting the best value at that spot. So, you know, if they're really, really good, I would draft them there, but I would also peruse the UDFA market because that's ultimately where some of the best value comes there. Let's get into the next question. And this one is from Brian Moffey, who is fantastic on, on Twitter. Who is your tier two of quarterbacks in the 2024 NFL draft? And this is an interesting question because he's not asking just like who were some of the quarterbacks below the top two. It, it, we're talking about tiers here. And I think that that's a very important distinction. I think when I look at the tiers, I think of the elite prospects, which is Drake May and Caleb Williams. Yeah. Behind that is like that. Who am I taking from 16 to 32 in the NFL draft? Or, or maybe even a little bit earlier if the situation necessitates it. And so for me, I'm leaving out the guys that like, well, I would take him on day two, but I wouldn't draft him in round one. And I think that that's a pretty thin list for me personally. But how do you look at it? Yeah, it's it's interesting because it's a discussion of possibilities too. Like there's a few guys who I have yet to regrade, you know, concrete regrade but could end up finding themselves in that spot. Jaden Daniels from LSU, I think is a great example. He's a guy who we came into the season with a lot of preconceived notions about his draft range. I know Dalton's getting the dance in there. I got to get that in there. Dalton's been singing his praises since the very beginning, and it's it's coming to fruition this year. But he's got the talent. He's got the pocket presence. He's got the pocket ability, right, the accuracy, uh, the decision-making. He's really been lights out this year. You know, Aside from his frame, which some NFL evaluators might be worried how that projects, there aren't a lot of red flags with that profile. So looking at that, you know, you could see him crack that round one range, I think, legitimately with the way he's been playing. So looking at that, like what quarterbacks are in that tier two for me, I'm going to be a little bit wider with my net right now because we're still mid-season. There's still a lot of possibilities. J.J. McCarthy, right off the bat, I think he's QB3 for a lot of people, myself included. Young, he's trending up. He's got great talent. Michael Penix Jr. and Bo Nix are very close for me. I think both of them are really savvy veterans who win in different ways. I think Bo Nix, the off-platform ability, has always been one of my favorite traits of his. But then Michael Penix Jr., you know, the gunslinger who can operate from the pocket, the field vision, the accuracy, the toughness as well. I could see him being in that, in that tier too. So I think those five guys and then Jaden Daniels, I think. So that that group of four beyond the top two, that's what I look at as my tier two right now. And then you go farther down the list. I think there's visible separation from that group to guys like Quinn Ewers and Shadur Sanders who might go back to school and Cameron Ward. I think once you get that point, there's a lot of separation. So those four for me are in that tier. 
Yeah, I, I think for me, when I look at the the second tier of quarterback, I'm I'm looking firmly at JJ McCarthy. I, I think that he's for me the number three guy right now. And then yeah, I, I think you're looking at, at guys like Shooter Sanders, but I I, I personally think Sanders is going to go back to school. That's just kind of the the feel that I have for this. I don't think that he needs to go. Um, and I think that he's going to stick around another year in, in, in Colorado. And it's because he can make a ton of money in Colorado right now. So, and he doesn't need that NFL guaranteed contract. So I think he might stay in school. I think Jalen Daniels might be able to get there. But I think when I look at this quarterback class as a whole, it's like, well, I, I kind of like a lot of these guys. You know, it's like, I don't know if I love any of them. And if I don't love any of them, I don't know if I'm going to take that shot in the first round. But in the second round, I, I you know, I, I'm happy to take a shot on Jaden Daniels. I'm happy to take a shot on Quinn Ewers a, a little bit later in the second round. There are guys that I really like, and it was uh, kind of interesting to me. I was a, a big fan of, of Carson Beck's coming into the season, and it was interesting to see Dane have him in the top 50, have him at 50. Uh, I haven't loved what I've seen from Carson Beck so far this year. Uh, I think that when you look at the the package that he puts together, the the arm talent and the pocket maneuverability, I think that it's all there to to be a, a solid quarterback in the NFL. My issue is that he, in my opinion, has been wholly inconsistent, not just from a game to game perspective, but but from a, a inside the game perspective. Where you know for the first two quarters he looks awful, and then in the third and fourth quarter he starts to find his groove. Well, you can't do that at the NFL level, you have to be a consistent player. And I don't think that he has that consistency yet. And could he get that with a little bit more playing time? I think that he could, but I need to see it before I really buy into it. But the tools are there with Carson Beck uh, to be a, a round two guy, in my opinion. So it's just a really interesting class overall. There's a ton of guys in that kind of range. But I think when I'm looking at that second tier, I'm looking firmly at JJ McCarthy and Shinder Sanders right now. And for me, those are the only two guys in it. Yeah, I think McCarthy in particular. If you're going to be selective with that tier, yes, he's the top candidate. And I always lean in the selective. Yeah, kind, kind of. There are uh, there range. are lessons from the past to kind of yeah. lean toward that, like uh, the 2021, no, 2022 quarterback class, I believe, with you know Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett, and we were always we were trying to figure out who was the best QB of that bunch, right? And in the end, the best answer might have been punt on this class entirely and move on to next year, right? So. Maybe selectivity is a good thing, right? And obviously Sam Howell from Washington is one guy who's shown flashes this year, but we don't know mm -hmm. if any of those guys are the guy. And if you don't have the guy at quarterback, that makes a big difference, right? That's not a player you spend a first-round pick on. That's a player that you spend a third- or fourth-round pick on. So, you know, the selectivity, especially at QB, uh, is really important to have. Is Michael Penix a day-one draft pick? I think we kind of answered that already with, the talk about the, the tiering, I think maybe, but for me, I think that because of the injury history, he might fall outside of that. And I think that he has been the best quarterback in college football this year. I don't want to take that away from him, but when you look at the entire package, the little bit of stiffness that he has in his delivery, I don't know how the NFL is going to look at his injury history being a lefty, which matters. Um, I just don't know if the NFL is going to propel him into round one. Yeah. And this comes to do us. A, from, do you have a comp for him? By yeah. The way? Like I, I don't really have one. So well, I'm it's, it's difficult with the left-handed quarterback for sure. And, and by the way, this comes to us from Lorenzo J. Reyna, who does some great yes. work at CFN and PFN. Uh, so shout out to you, Lorenzo. This was actually from our previous mailbag. We uh, shuffled it for this one. 
But uh, yeah, I mean, I think for the first round one real quick, I've said it before. I just think as long as the medicals check out, I think he's definitely in that conversation because the way he's played this year, um, you know, I think the stiffness for sure is there. I don't think he's an athlete who's going to beat NFL defenses as a creator. Right. And I think that'll set him, you know, a tear down from guys like Bo Nix in that specific category. But um, I do think the arm talent is there, the velocity, the driving velocity is the term I like to use because it just gets to its mark on time, right? You know, it's just very consistent with that. The accuracy, the window identification, the field vision, I think he's the guy who can really dice you up from the pocket. So, you know, I think he can go first round. And I think the competitive toughness, the leadership, that'll just be a cherry on top for NFL teams who are looking for that character uh, kind of monolith, that figurehead uh, to kind of steer their franchise in the right direction. So I think as long as the medicals check out, definitely a good chance as far as comparisons go it's difficult i think in you know with comparisons i always try to like here's i've 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 expressed my confidence in his play style i think as long as the medicals check out he can be a good very good nfl starter right i think you're looking at the operational traits those are there i think the driving velocity and the arm strength is there stylistically i could see him being a matthew stafford type where he's winning from within the pocket you know, using he's he's got the ability to adjust his arm angles and his arm slots too, and maintain velocity. And I think that's very important. Uh, he's shown that he can anticipate windows, and he's a gunslinger. He's going to take those chances. You see Stafford do that too, early in his career. Stafford, one of his hallmark traits, the competitive toughness, gutting through injuries to finish games and leading comeback still. drives. Right, <laughs> I think he's still doing that. Right, so I think with Michael Penix, the injuries are the big thing. But if he checks that box, for me personally there aren't too many red flags that would preclude me from taking him. I think the athleticism, the stiffness, that's something that shows up with Stafford too. He's not a guy who's going to beat you with his legs yeah. consistently, yeah. but he is a guy who at least has the passable functional mobility to open windows within the pocket and give himself time. And I think Michael Penix fits a lot of those descriptions. So max high-end comp, Matthew Stafford could be the type of passer that he becomes. Now he's got to stay healthy, right? There's still a few things mechanically that he can clean up even now. Uh, and decision-making, there are a few lapses here and there. I know that two-interception game a couple weeks ago, uh, there was one where he just didn't see the guy, tried to force it, right? So you want to kind of limit those. But the gunslinger, the toughness, and just the ability to work and win within the pocket with your arm strength, I think a lot of those things match up. In a much more muddled running back class than last year, which running backs are distancing themselves from the rest at the top? This is from Justin, I believe you pronounce his last name, higher. Um, H-I-E-R. He is another colleague of ours. And I find this question fascinating because when I look at the uh, the, the running backs in this class, I, I'm pretty much just throwing them all in a basket at this point. Yeah. It's so hard for me to distinguish between these guys because I, I think that even though they're all a little bit different, I just don't see a guy who I'm like, yes, I absolutely need this dude on my football team. And I like Travion Henderson, but Henderson has the injury concerns for me that hold me back, especially at the running back position yeah. is one where I have issues because he's going to continuously take a beating. And I don't know if I like going after somebody with injury concerns as the first running back off of the board in that respect. But how do you see these guys? Because I know Henderson is, is our RB1, mm-hmm. um, but like, where do you take a guy like that? Yeah, I mean, the injuries are the biggest concern because we he started out the year healthy and then he missed three weeks for an undisclosed injury that there wasn't a ton of you know press on it. He's back now, thank goodness, and he looks to be near 100%, but you worry a little bit about the durability at the next level. You know, he's as talented as he is. You know, for me personally, as long as he's back now, you know, with the uncertainty, with joining him in this RB class, I'm comfortable keeping him as my RB1 because I know 
you know, how dynamic he is as a runner, how versatile he is as a receiver, the complete profile. I think it's very good. But in regards to the question, I don't think there's a guy separating himself from the entire pack. I think you have a pack of great early to mid day two guys who are kind of in that range. I think that's where they're going to be clustered. Last year, it was very easy and, and fun for evaluators because you had two guys who were very clearly above the rest. You had B. John Robinson and Jameer Gibbs. We don't have that luxury this year. It's very, very muddled, I think is the right word to use. I think Justin used the right word. But, you know, within that group, I, there are a lot of guys that I like. Trey Brown Henderson, if he's healthy, I like him. Trey With, Benson is Trey awesome. Benson, he's been really good this year, man. I he, think, he might be the guy, I, I think, out of all of them that yeah. has really caught my eye so Three, far this year. Because I already knew, yeah. I already knew that I really liked Henderson's game. Um, but I think Benson is the one. I mean, Bucky Irving is like everybody's yeah. favorite yeah. running back, and he should be. But I think the one that has impressed me the most as an NFL draft prospect so far has been Benson. Yeah, three or four guys. If we're talking about performance, the performance this year that has helped separate them or lift them up the board, Bucky Irving, for sure. I mean, the dude is 5'10", 190 pounds of carnage. I mean, he's just breaking tackles. I mean, the dude is just so fun to watch. I mean, he's explosive, twitchy. The vision, too, I think that gets underrated in his game. But phenomenal vision, creative instincts, and congestion, the reaction speed to kind of adapt as the play is going. Love that part of his game. Love that part of his game. So if you can get by the size, I could easily see him going a lot earlier than people people expect. Jonathan Brooks, if he declares from Texas, yes. has been very good. Uh, I think, you know, that long strider athleticism is there with him. But then he's also got great in contact balance for his size, kind of wiry strength. He really plays well there and a really good receiver. Um, and then two other guys, Trey Benson. We mentioned him, the volume back, who's really added to his receiving arsenal this year, too. I mean, he's running routes out of the backfield. He's catching, you know, contested passes on wheel routes on the boundary, right? This is a guy who's adding that to his game beyond being a size-speed guy between the tackles, right? So I really let him. The contact balance is just absurd with him, too. I mean, the guy churns through tackles left and right, always finishes forward. And then one more, Audric Estime, I think from Notre Dame, is another one that I like, kind of within that similar mold, right? I don't think he's quite as agile as Benson. Yeah. I think Benson gets him there. But Estime is another guy who's just so freaking powerful at contact. He's so man. hard to tackle, it's man. so hard to tackle him. Yeah. Uh, he's got good vision between the tackles. Again, I think the lower body strength is just what keeps him churning along, man, just plowing through defenders. And he's a good receiver, too. You know, he's not as versatile as a receiver, but as a guy who can catch beyond his frame, he's got body control, right? You know, I think if you need to rely on him there, he can do it. So those are a few guys. And Braylon Allen has been playing well, too. I think the agility for me is a little bit of a concern with him, too. But again, one of those, you know, really powerful vertical runners who can just churn through contact. Um, there's a lot of guys within that realm. So I think a lot of guys who are producing, are they pushing themselves ahead of the pack? Not so sure. But within the pack, they're updating, improving their ranking within the pecking order. In a and we're gonna stick with running backs here. Um, I assume because which group of five player Ian has impressed you the most this season? I'm gonna try. You know, I was gonna try and and, and subvert your expectations and and try <laughs> and keep you on your toes here, but Blake Watson is definitely up there. I gotta say, and this is from Brian Moffy again, I believe. Yes. Yeah, he's always keeping an eye on the group of five guys. So I appreciate your work, Brian. Appreciate you as always. Blake Watson is up there for me. He's probably going to be a day three guy, right? I think he's a little bit older. Uh, definitely not the elite speed guy, and he's a little undersized too. So you don't like to see that. But I, I'm just I have a ton of confidence in the way he plays the game. I think the vision, the patience, is one of the most impressive things in this entire class. Uh, he's so good at using those tempo and throttle modulations to stay in control behind the line, and then once he gets past the line of scrimmage. 
he's around 5'11", 5'9", 195, 200, right? So he's got really good contact balance. One of those kind of, kind of like Bucky Irving where it's size-defined. You don't expect him to bounce off the tackles and churn through the way that he does. And then a very versatile receiving threat too. So, you know, the vision, the physicality, the versatility, uh, not an explosive speed guy or, or a twitch guy, but I do think agile enough with his change of direction and fluidity where he's going to be a really good player. So group of five guys, he's definitely up there. But I think the guy who's impressed me the most, we can say, you know, a little bit farther up the board, Quinion Mitchell from Toledo has been phenomenal again this year. He was a ball hawk yeah. last year, uh, but he verified four, three speed Feldman's freaks. Uh, he could go early to mid day two, maybe even crack round one. I mean, I think it's a possibility with a guy of his tools and his ball hawking ability. Uh, he's definitely been up there for me. And then a few other guys off the top of my head. I think Tulane's Patrick Jenkins on the interior defensive line has been very good. I think that he's a TCU transfer around 6'2", 300 pounds, just absolute wrecking ball, bowl in a china shot, man, the torque capacity, the violence of contact is very fun with him. And then Colin Lacey, Brian actually told me to look him up, but I knew of him. I hadn't gotten a chance to look at him, but I looked at him a little bit earlier today uh, from South Alabama and around 5'10", 190, I want to say, but uh, I like the quick twitch. I like the foot speed. I like the, um, the fluidity on his routes. He can do those in and out breakers and he's got great fluidity, keeping his speed through breaks and route transitions. A uh, good ball tracking ability down the field. He's one of the receiving leaders in the entire NCAA. So I think a fourth-year player, not sure if he declares, but if he does, Colin Lacey, uh, for me, very dynamic. And then one more wide receiver, UTSA's Joshua Cephas. Uh, we saw DeCorian Clark. Uh, he's back, but uh, Zachary Franklin left for Ole Miss. I think Cephas has done a great job taking the volume. Uh, not an elite speed guy, again, but another 6'3", you know, long, lanky, lean receiver is, with great route flexibility. Is that Quintez's brother? I'm not way, sure, actually. I'll have to I'll have to look that up. I'm not sure. I don't know if there's many Cephas's out there. That, that, yeah, that caught my attention. Thing. I was a big fan of Quintez Cephas coming out. Uh, very, and, and you said not the fastest guy in the world. Quintez was definitely not the yeah, fastest guy yeah. in the world, but he was a, a very good, um, fluid, flexible route runner. Yeah. What is the position group that you're higher on the most, Ian, and who are two lesser-known prospects in that group that help you feel strong about the group? This is from ADI Avery. I love this question. This is a tough one, man, because there's a lot of strong position groups across the board in this class. Like, I think yeah. we've, as we've gone through this cycle, the depth of each position group has kind of become more distinct. So. Mm -hmm. You look at that, man. Like, I would say offensive tackle, but everyone knows it's a strong Everybody knows group. the offensive tackle class yeah. is outstanding. I would say wide receiver because some people were kind of it's, doubting it, that early on. Dude, that wide receiver class is too. unreal. Yeah, and then defensive tackle, I would say, but people have come around there too. So it's like everywhere mm -hmm. you go. Uh, I think when I think when I look at this, I, th I think that I have an answer, and I think okay. that it's safety. I think that it's safety. I think safety is becoming a more uh, integral position at the NFL level mm -hmm. than it ever has been before, really. Um, I think more safeties are playing on the field at the same time at this point. I, I think that you see guys like uh, like Bullock from um, USC. No, no, I'm Bullard. Sorry, wrong one. Oh, Georgia. Bullock and Bullard. Uh, Bullard from Georgia, who plays in that slot role, but is is really probably a safety at the next level. Mm -hmm. um, he can play a little bit of corner in the slot, but he's not an outside guy. So what really is he? And we're seeing a ton of those guys. A ton of guys that play in the slot. They're they're. You know, you say that they're a safety. They're kind of a corner safety hybrid type player um, in that Elijah Molden type of mold. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but I think when you look at this, there's a, a bunch of guys in that that range, you know, outside of the 100, top 100 that I like. And I think Bo Braid is a guy from yeah. Maryland who is going to continue to rise on boards. He's rising on our board. I think that he's going to be a top 100 guy. Um, I think when you look at Hudson Clark from Arkansas, he's a guy that I, I really like. Uh, and then Malachi Moore just continues to make plays around the line of scrimmage. Is he a little bit of a liability on the back end? Maybe. Um, but I think in the NFL level, these teams are finding really creative ways to use these type of players near the line of scrimmage, use them as dime linebackers. And I think when you look at a, a class like this that has a bunch of different types of players on top of, you know, your your Cole Bishops and Rod Moores and Tyler New, the, the guys who can legitimately play on the back yeah. end. Kalen Kay, Bullock is another guy like that. Um, so I think that it's not the best class in the world because you don't really have that super high-end guy. But I think that you have a bunch of guys that are, that are going to get drafted on day two and day three and be starters in the NFL for the next eight years. Yeah, for sure. I agree. And another defensive position, I was kind of thinking about it while we were going through this. And linebacker, I think, has really aged well through the process. Yeah. I think that was a position where early on we weren't sure who the top guys of the pecking order were, and we didn't know how much depth there was going to be either. Right? I think this year – uh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. has really separated himself. I liked him and Barrett Carter coming into the year, but I think Trotter Jr. has really been the guy who's taken his game to another level and added that pass rushing element that I wanted to see. Uh, so he's the top guy there. He's really, really solid. And then there's a bunch of other players at the linebacker spot. Like, um, you know, you go down the board, Jalen Ford from Texas, Tommy Eichenberg from Ohio State, Tyron Hopper. I know we're both big fans of him from Missouri. Cedric Gray from North Carolina. Uh, Edgar and Cooper, Texas A&M, who had a monster game this past week. Hey, dude, Ed Edgerin Cooper is a guy we just we just need to talk about we him real quick it. because yeah. he ended up being number one, I believe, on Mel Kuyper's board for linebackers. Yeah, I believe so. And that was and that was the first time he was really on my radar. So, Mel, shout out to the Godfather of the NFL Draft. This dude can play. Yeah, this dude can really play. I mean, he's like six foot three. He's long as hell. I think that'll be really good in coverage, but man, he's just one of those guys and he kind of reminds me a little bit of Tyron Hopper where he's just a guy who knows how to miss blocks and make plays around yeah. the line of scrimmage. Yeah. He's just always making splash plays. There was that screen tackle that he made uh, this past he, week. He, where, he overran it so yeah. he could get away from the offensive linemen and line and uh, wide receivers. He literally skirted three blocks yeah. to make that play. Like he overran and it. The to only the reason he spot. was able to make, yeah, and the only way he was able to make that play is because he's got an eight foot wingspan. Mm -hmm. Yep. Like I remember you, me, and Ian Valentino. We were all. I was awestruck. At the same I time, imagine. we At all the same, saw it. It was. You're a little bit ahead of me in my stream. Yeah. But when when we saw it, we were like, "Yo, that was that a was play." Impressive. For sure. And then Dane posted it a couple of days later. So, you know, the entire draft sphere is, is looking at him and he's a great well, and player. And that's how that's how things go in the NFL draft. Well, I think that we can be honest about this yeah. is that when when Dane Brugler says that a player is a player, that player immediately yeah. shows up on mock drafts. That's just the way that it goes. I mean, and listen, when Dane says they're a player, best. they are a player because Dane knows what he's talking about. Yes. And like, listen, we are are very, I think, ahead of this compared to other outlets um, just because of the work that Ian puts in, quite honestly. Um, but yes, I, I think that most of the world waits to see what Dane has to say in his top 50, and then they adjust their boards off of that. Yeah. Whereas we respect Dane. I, Dane is like the reason I do this. Um, 
we have our own opinions. Yeah, and I, I, and, I will uh, say, you know, as an evaluator, right, we're pivoting a little off topic here, but that's fine because it's a good discussion to have, I think. You know, I, I started being an evaluator a few years ago, right? You know, it's, it's been a not even mm-hmm. that long of a process, but, you know, you need to dive into the, like, if you're a young evaluator out there, like, you need to dive in head first and make your own discretions. Like, you need 100%. to make your own analysis, your own grades, because that's the only way that you're going to be able to find your voice and find your confidence in your evaluations, right? Because I do remember a few times when I was just starting out, like, obviously, you have a lot to learn. You see a ranking that, you know, doesn't jive with you or a player that you haven't seen and you see where he's ranked and you're like, all right, I'll slot him in around 100, 120. Just to no, like, come on, you know, watch him for yourself, see for yourself what you see, write it down. And once you do that more and more, you build the confidence to have your own voice, right? So then you can see different people's rankings. And instead of, you know, kind of finding a good balance for where they should be, you're like, all right, I'm going to watch him and see what I think. And it's okay. There's different opinions. So it's, it's fun. Uh, to find your own voice and your own confidence within the draft cycle and everyone sees something different when you first start out that's a little daunting but once you get your confidence and your voice it becomes one of the best things about it because there's so many different outcomes all right we have answered like five questions so we got to get going (laughs) real real quick real quick actually because i know we were talking about safeties i know we have a question from uh steve heilmeyer down below uh so we talked about safeties let's just get to that one right now if, okay. if there's a place in this in this class of range, a draft round range that would be most ideal to find a starting safety, what do you think it would be? It's around pick 75. I think when, when you look at this class, I think that you're going to find one of these guys around that, around that range. I don't know how many guys go in the top 50, but I think once you get into that early round three range, I think you're going to see three, four, five safeties drafted within, you know, 25, 30 picks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's kind of where the, uh, the the good players are stacking up. Like we talked about Rod Moore, Cole Bishop, you know, Tyler yeah. Newbin, Kaelin Bullock, Bo Braid, uh, and then a few other guys too that are down the list, like Hudson Clark. Like, you know, that mid-round 75, I think, Tyler Newbin as well. I think uh, you know, yeah. those are the players who are really, you know, that day two range. You could pick Cameron Kitchens, round one. Right. I think that's kind of where he's been training for some people, day two for others. But, you know, I think that's where the best value is going to be for the safety class. And there's always guys in day three who end up becoming starters. Right. So keep an eye out on that. There's a few guys that I really like. But if you're looking for the most guarantees, the most guaranteed talent, uh, I think that mid day two range is definitely the, the sweet spot. Yes. Let's move on now. Next question is. Aside from Bo Nix and Bucky Irvin, who are some of the top 2024 NFL draft prospects that have caught your eyes at Oregon? And uh, we have another question right after this. Perfect team fits for Oregon defensive lineman Brandon Dorless. Um, I think Dorless is probably the guy who is at the top of our list or maybe second on our list for Oregon prospects, not named Bo Nix and Bucky Irvin, correct? Yeah, I think it would be him for sure. And this is from Cody Rourke, one of our former colleagues. It's great Denver Broncos work. Cody, appreciate you as always. Uh, Brandon Dorless for you. sure. I think uh, Troy Franklin, wide receiver yeah. as well. Um, but yeah, I think those are the top two guys. I think Dorless is just that wrecking ball. You can play him really anywhere. Just that alignment versatile threat who can just pinch the pocket, produce power. Uh, love to see that from him. And then uh, on the other side, Troy Franklin, the versatile wide receiver. You can use him in motion, right? The speed threat who can you know kind of 
sear through seams uh, and kind of carve through defensive coverages with that long strider athleticism. I think those are the top two guys. But there are a bunch of other guys. I mean, I think this Oregon team is very stacked. Um, I think you look at offensive tackle Johnny Cornelius. I think he transferred over from the FCS. He's been pretty good. Uh, the torque, the power is definitely there with him. Technically, some things to clean up, but he's coming along. Jackson Powers Johnson at center could be a riser late in the process if he declares to think, you know, at center you look for athleticism, power, leverage. He's got all of that, and he's a finisher as well. On the defensive side, Jordan Birch has really been coming into his own. Another really powerful rusher, 6'6", 290, 300. When you, when you look at it, Birch has been, I think, a little bit more productive than Dorless even has. Yeah. So yeah. for me... For me, it's, I mean, I think Dorless, in my opinion, is the, the more complete prospect right now. But I think if you're looking for the more dangerous pass rusher, I, I actually do think that you're looking more towards Birch than you are Dorless. I think Dorless yeah. with the entire package might be something that you look at higher, but Birch has been fantastic. And they're both absolute freak athletes. Oh, yeah. I think they're both on Thelma's freaks. I know, I know for a fact Birch was, yeah, but they powerful guys. That. Powerful alignment versatile. You'd love to see it. Real quick, a few more names on Oregon's defense. Um, Evan Williams, nickel. Angles and support can be an issue, but I, I do like what I've seen from him. Jeffrey Bassa as well, just really hard-charging defender, super versatile. Uh, Kyrie Jackson, size-speed athlete at corner. And then Justin Jacobs, from linebacker, uh, linebacker from Iowa, he transferred over. He just got on the field recently within the last few weeks, I think. And he's, been, he's been playing decent football, so another long athlete to keep in your, in your radar, on your radar. Uh, but back to Doralist, the team fits. What's standing out to you as the top team fits for him? Well, as a traditional defensive end, it's the New Orleans Saints, and that's mm-hmm. the only one because the Saints are the only team that is a 4-3 team or a four-down front team that is like, yes, I want every single guy that is over 280 pounds on the edge, and I want to defend the run and sometimes get to the quarterback. Uh, I think that when you look at him from just a, a versatility perspective, I think if you want him to play edge, if you want him to play a little bit of four I five tech, I think that the modern NFL, these tweener guys that are six two, six three, two hundred and eighty five, two hundred and ninety pounds, they're finally starting to find homes in the NFL. And I think that's kind of where you see somebody like Brandon Doyless, where he's not a three tech. I don't think it'll ever really be a three tech, but I think that four I role is perfect for him. And then on third downs, he can reduce down and be a pass rusher. He can shoot gaps. He can use that length and power that he has on a center um, in the A-gap. But I, I think overall, when you look at him, I think that there's a lot of teams these days that can use somebody like Brandon Dorless at a high level. Yeah. The team fit that I've always liked is the Cowboys for him. I think, you know, the way that they can move him around the front and the way that he can produce, you know, pressure from a multitude of alignments. I think they have Dorrance Armstrong as a free agent this year. Correct me if I'm wrong. You know the Cowboys better than I do. But yeah, you know, I think Dorless, 6'3, 280, and you can line him up at 7 tech and he can rush from outside. You know, he's got enough explosiveness and twitch and power. But then at the same time, like you said, you can put him at 3 tech on on passing downs or 4 high on running downs at 5 tech. He can really go wherever. But if you want him to move around the front and stunt and, and kind of test those rushing angles uh he's got the all all-encompassing talent to do that so the cowboys are my favorite fit for him but you know any team that uses hybrid alignments that is willing to be flexible with those kinds of talent he could definitely fit that what are your favorite cornerback and o-line prospects for the 49ers in terms of overall fit and talent when i look at the 49ers i mean obviously you look at right tackle first and foremost but you also have to look at left tackle because trent williams is already i believe 41 years old or something like that. I mean, he is already a senior citizen. 
And he's still one of, if not the best left tackles. I think we can now pretty firmly say one of because Tristan Wirfs is not human. But I think when you look at the 49ers, you can look at whatever offensive tackle you want at this point. And listen, I think if you want your left tackle of the future and you want to go and, and somehow draft Joe Alt, like if he was available for some reason, draft Joe Alt, play him at right tackle for a year and then put him back where he is comfortable on the left side. But I think that this is a fantastic year, especially for a team like the 49ers who are going to be drafting 22 to 32 where there are a couple of right tackles in this class that could be day one starters and really good players. You're looking at guys like Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma. You're looking at Fuaga from Oregon state. I don't know where JC Latham goes at this point. I think JC Latham has still been fantastic this year, but that Alabama offensive line has been atrocious and he's shown some warts because the situation around him is not good either. So I'm really interested to see what happens with this right tackle group. I think Fuaga has been unbelievable. I've watched more of him than I think I've even seen from JC Latham just because I enjoy watching him so much. But I think when you look at this, I think that the 49ers from a, a right tackle perspective are in a really good spot to replace Col- Colton McKivitz after this season. When I look at cornerback, it's a little bit different because I don't love this cornerback class yeah. all that much. But in that kind of cover three Seattle scheme that they run there. And and it's more complicated than that because they run a lot of Tampa two with Fred Warner as well, but it's a lot of zone coverage. And I think that there are a lot of guys in this class that fit that role really well. Yeah. I think for offensive line, for me at the 49ers, we know they can develop talent. So get really athletic, really powerful guys who are people movers who also have the recovery capacity to be very good pass protectors as well. I think in round one, Talese Fuaga is my favorite. I mean, he's all right to me. He's a top 15 talent. He'd be an immediate starter, uh, and he could be a very, very good player, very good starter at the next level. So he stands out. Kingsley Suamataya from BYU. I didn't, I didn't even bring a up little Kingsley. Bit, yeah, a little bit rougher around the edges than Fuaga, but another super explosive, powerful talent who can play left or right side, so you can get him in the in the room. Um, and then on day two or day three, I have him as a top 100 guy, but Kieran Amagaji from Yale, another super explosive, 6'5", six, six, 320, arms super long. The dude is just an insane talent. He's dominating that FCS tape. Uh, and he's very good at torquing through defenders, and he's a finisher as well. So, you know, any player who's got the physical tools to mold and reach that high ceiling and move guys in the running game and create that displacement that Kyle Shanahan's scheme is so it's so important to his scheme, uh, those are the guys that I would target. And then on the corner side, you mentioned it, you know, a lot of zone coverage, cover three, TJ Tampa, Iowa State is one that stands out to me. I think the size, speed, explosiveness yeah. combination is going to be really fun with him. And he's improved his run supportability this year, too, which is important. But uh, he's one of those guys who's really comfortable using his long strider athleticism to cover ground and manage space on the boundary. And he's shown playmaking ability, too, at the catch point. So I think Juju Brent, similar to him last year, the explosiveness and the just absolutely swarming length that he has it's really going to up his game later on in the cycle. A few other guys, Zai Alexander from LSU. I know the LSU defense has not been great, but I do think six foot two, around 190, he's another really, really good athlete for his size. Very fleet-footed cover man with enough speed to work downfield. Um, and I think, you know, if they ever want to play matching and man, he's got the twitch and the foot speed to do that, but the length to cover in, in zone as well. And then Kyrie Jackson, we just mentioned him for Oregon, the 6'3", around 195. He's got the speed to cover guys down the field, I think, in, in zone. Uh, can be a very good look for him. So a few fits uh, for the 49ers there. All right, we are at 40 minutes already. 
and we have about seven questions to go, so we literally have to be within a minute on all of these. All right. Quarterback prospects that best fit Atlanta. I think that that's a really tough one because Atlanta runs such a uh, unique scheme offensively. I don't know who, like, who is the best Ryan Tannehill in this class. It might be Michael Penix, honestly. I, it might be Penix. I've always been a fan of Bo Nix for Atlanta just because, you know, you already have a lot of playmakers in place. I want a guy who can distribute effectively. I think that's been one of the things they've been looking for from their QB position. Just guys who are accurate on schedule, good at working off-platform on those design rollouts too. You know, I think Bo Nix for me checks a lot of of those boxes, and I don't know if they're going to be in range for J.J. McCarthy either. You know, if they're winning like seven games, they might be just out of range. So we'll see. Bo Nix is my favorite. I, I think he is worthy of round one consideration with his talent. And then you look at his distribution ability. For me, the playmakers are in place. Just get someone who can get them the ball. And Nix, I think, checks that box. If uh, if my Packers are picking in the 6-10 to 10 range, who are names to consider? Tackles, quarterbacks, cornerbacks. I don't know if a corner for me is going to be good enough to draft over Joe Alt or Olu Fushanu, or J.C. Latham, or Fuaga, or literally whatever offensive tackle you want to draft. I mean, there's so many great ones in this class, uh, and I think that you absolutely need to try to protect whatever quarterback is going to be playing in Green Bay. Um, Of course, that's the first question to answer for Green Bay. You know, are you going quarterback? Because if you go quarterback, you can't get a blindside tackle for them. You know, that's the discussion, quarterback or offensive tackle. I agree with you. Probably not a corner. That would preclude me from taking Joe Alt or Fashanu. Alt's been my OT one. He's moved back into that, into that spot, but Fashanu is very good too. So first discussion, quarterback. If not, if you're rolling with love, get Joe Alt. I think that's the best option for you if he's still there. Why are the Bengals so bad at drafting offensive line? I don't know at this from Ed Smith. I don't know why they're so bad at drafting offensive linemen, but it, we looked over their track record earlier. I wish I could go over it, but we just don't have time. It is, it's not very good. Yeah, I think some of the issues for them, maybe they're, they're the years that they need to pick a round one offensive lineman who's got verifiable athleticism and, and technical proficiency, they don't. Sometimes in those years, they go for a round two, a round three, a round four guy trying to compromise and they just don't put enough into it. Uh, but then when they do, you know, sometimes it's the coaching issue as well. So it, I think it's a balance of both for them. But at some point, you do need to just sell out and put everything you have into that unit. Uh, the Buccaneers need an edge out of Latu, Latu, Jared Verse, Chop Robinson. Who is your favorite? Is there a fourth or fifth guy in the round one discussion? This is from Ian um, Pat Mahomer which is a fantastic Twitter name, I assume. But for me, I mean, Dallas Turner is the number one guy, and I think that he's also the best fit in Tampa Bay because they do drop their guys back in coverage a little bit, and he's somebody who can do that at a very high level on top of being a very good pass rusher and being an ascending prospect, in my opinion. I think Landon Jackson is another one who, you know, maybe later in round one or early in round two could be somebody that you look at as a traditional guy on the edge who can put his hand down, but is athletic enough to survive in space as well, even at 280 pounds. Yeah, I think of that group of three, Chop Robinson is my favorite. I think for the Buccaneers, you know, playing stand-up edge rushers in that three-odd front scheme, I think he's got a ton of talent. I like Laiatu Latu in that scheme, too. You know, I think he's very natural rushing from that position. I think the bend, the hand usage, 
uh, all those things are very appealing. But Prince Lee and Milan, Florida is a guy I want to bring Ooh, up yeah, in this Lee's discussion. Too. He's our edge three. We're very high on him as a as a unit at PFN, uh, 6'4", 250, super long. You know, he's got great power capacity. I think one of the most explosive guys when he gets all of his first step. I think when mm-hmm. he, you see that heat off the line and then the bend capacity is absurd with him. I mean, the way that he's able to keep his strides long while surpassing the apex and reducing his surface area. I think all of those four guys, you could argue that Uman Milan has the highest ceiling and he's also a very good run defender. So something I'm confident investing in, I would consider him in that conversation too. Who is your tight end three right now? Ooh. This is from Durst. Now this, and Dur- this is a good question, but I think it, it's assuming that Jatavian Sanders is already my tight end two behind Brock Bowers. He's actually yes. not. He's actually my tight end three. My tight end Ooh. two is Ben Sinek. Kansas State. I've been a big fan of him for a while, the preseason, and he's only produced this year, even with some quarterback inconsistency at Kansas State. But I think Ben Sinnott, 6'4", 245, I think he's got the rack ability that Sanders has to most of it, like 80% of that. And I think he's a more versatile route runner, more flexible route runner. I think he's got a wider route tree, very good hands over the middle of the field, and a really good blocker too, very versatile blocker. So for me, Ben Sinnott is that guy. What about you? We got to go. Um, who are two to three day three guys who could end up outplaying their day one counterparts? This is from ADI Avery as well. Give me one and I'll give one and I'll get us out of here. Shoot, man. If I had to pick one, I would probably say Daquan Hardy from Penn State. Nickel, put him in the Love slot. It. I think he's going to be good. Love it. Mine is Anaya Smith, wide receiver, Texas A&M. Just get that dude the ball. I don't care. Yes, he's going to be a fantastic slot at the NFL level. As always, guys, I love you. This is Dalton Miller, joined by Ian Cummings. Goodbye.